0: Before we start, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional owners of the land that we make this podcast, and I extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that are listening to this episode. Yama. Hello, I'm Raddy Walden, podcaster, writer, TV host, and you've probably heard me talk about sex before, but this is Talking Frank. This pod is going to cover every nook and cranny of Australia's sex lives, from the headspins of modern dating to unexpected fluids, and to STI checks, we're going to get frank about it. For this episode, we're going to talk about sex expectations, which is exactly what you might think it is, your expectations about sex. We're going to talk about how to make sure that you and your partner are having a good time in the bedroom, how to navigate trying something new with them, and most importantly, how to communicate with your partner and set clear boundaries. So come on, let's be frank about our sex expectations. Joining me in the studio is Mistress Tokyo. Mistress Tokyo is a sex worker, a dominatrix, and a kink educator who has developed her own mindfulness consent model. The model is all about teaching young people how to consensually explore sex or feeling sexy and safe if they're wanting to try something new, or maybe they just want to prioritize their own pleasure. Now, Mistress Tokyo, on this podcast, we have um, a voice memo sent in from a listener or um, a member and friend of the Talking Frank community. Um, with a little question or concern or issue that they want to bring up. Um, Do you mind having a listen and offering some of your expertise? Let's go for it. Here we go.
1: I find myself getting very embarrassed when I talk about sex and pleasure with my partners, even though I deserve to feel good in those situations.
0: I think that talking about sex and pleasure with your partner is the baseline.
2: I agree with you. I, I think that talking about intimacy... Uh, talking about rights and privileges around uh, contact, physical contact, sexual contact, um, setting boundaries, um, and then also negotiating what you like, Mm. what you don't like. Also, very importantly, what they don't like.
0: Yeah, I always find it very bizarre when I initiate communication during a sexual encounter and the other person's either put off by it or is too shy to talk, but maybe I'm just over-communicating,
2: I think that it's important to find a partner or partners where you can have good communication together. Mm. And if your partner or your, uh, your lover doesn't have a communication style which is similar to yours, it's not a failing. The want to communicate is the want to bond. Mm. And talking about sex, it's the want to share pleasure together. Mm-hmm. Acknowledge that the communication between the two of you is part of the job of having a relationship and that you come together and you work at it together like it's a job, Mm. like it's something that you're both opting into. Um, I mean, I've had communication with lovers where they've poo-pooed me, Mm. shushed me when I'm talking about consent. Those people don't come back. In fact, they probably (laughs) don't even come.
0: (laughs) And do you think that people have a big, like when this idea of talking and communication comes up around sex, they always think it's verbal. Like, do you think that people are just maybe a little bit too afraid to even broach it because they think they're going to have to sit down and talk where it could be body language or it could be other other forms of communication?
2: We need to destigmatize communicating well, mm. and we need to take it away from it being in a personal incursion onto the character of the person who is doing, doing the talking or initiating the talking. But, and, but I, feel, I feel that we're moving in this way in general in society. Mm. We're talking more about sex. I mean, heck, I'm sitting here in latex, like a $1,000 worth of latex and spike heels that I walk around in session talking about sex with you. Oh, my gosh, this is a great day. <laughs> but we've had to get here and there's still more work to do.
0: Mm. Absolutely. Should we keep
2: listening? Totally.
1: Um, sadly, like for a lot of years, I just didn't talk about it. And when I had experienced that pain that I spoke of before, um, I would ignore it. I would go, "Well, this is just a part of the experience," because I didn't know that um, that people who had vaginas could experience that pleasure. I didn't see it anywhere, um, and I wasn't really taught about uh, orgasms or anything like that in. In AFAB people or people with vaginas, I wasn't taught about that. <laughs> so I think there's a massive stigma on female pleasure. It's um, men feel as if they need to succeed, and I know this is a lot of generalizations, but men feel like they need to succeed in the bedroom, especially, and uh, to be and we want to ple- like we want to please the people we're with, and so there's a lot of people pleasing behavior and a lot of ign- ignorance as well but it's something we can work on with our partners. It's something we can grow on and something we can just talk about, like be free, be open. Saying I need you to do this doesn't mean that you were fail- failing before. It just means that, hey, this can be better for me. Would you like to try it?
0: I think the idea around, like, female pleasure or even male pleasure, because when you learn sex in school, it's all about procreation and never about pleasure. Mm. And and she said in there that she she never realised that it could be pleasurable. Mm, Indeed. It's so scary.
2: We're not taught to have pride in how we love other people physically. Mm. We're not taught to. One of the things that I adore about being a sex worker is that I get to really step into a space where I can have finessed hard and soft skills around the, the absolute joy of being embodied during sexual, sexual activities. There's, there's a lot of, a lot of things in what she just said. And I think that I think I really liked was this can be better for me. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it's bad. And I think that that could be a way of approaching your partner to step off into that great unknown of, I could be judged. Um, Do I really know what I want? Mm -hmm. Um, do I have rights to ask for what I want? Because that's one one thing that I think that um, we're really taught to uh, confound is that we're not supposed to ask for what we want. And that's um, um, a phrase that's said by the, the great consent teacher, Dr. Betty Martin from the School of Consent. Uh, so um, like I would encourage people to like drop into your body and see what your body says about that phrase for them. Mm-hmm. Hey, this could be better for me if you do x because my pleasure is valuable it is valid and we are supposed to be coming together to create a mutual experience of physical physical love physical pleasure gosh i sound like some sort of self-help person <laughs> but i'm wearing rubber and spikes people just so you have that visual
0: i Completely agree, but are you willing to now talk about? Are you willing to now share your expertise in pleasure with me? Should we get into a? Should we get into the chat?
2: Let's do it. Great.
0: So first off, you're obviously wearing head to toe uh, PVC.
2: Oh, it's latex. Latex, totally.
0: Um, head to toe latex. What do you do for a living?
2: Well, um, basically, I'm a sex worker. Uh, I've been a dominatrix for 23 years. And that is not the only thing that I've ever done with my life, but it is a thing that I have found to be most affirming of life, the capacity of of the body. It's remarkable how people come together in a space of sexuality psychodrama, um, somatic process. And what I, what I mean by somatic process, what the heck is that applying techniques and tools to the body to, um, create like a sort of a, a cathartic experience, so I'm a dominatrix. I'm also a sexuality educator. I'm also a performer. I do uh, shibari plus um, aerials. Um, and Wait, um, have
0: you performed at the Art Gallery of New South Wales before? I certainly have. I think I've seen you there. This is, I walked in and I was like, yeah, she looks really familiar. Uh,
2: That's me. It's you. Yeah, <laughs> I was at the Art Gallery for a... It was like a,
0: a life drawing thing. That's correct, yes. yes. But so as a dominatrix, I think that you are in a very unique position to talk about pleasure and how we can please other people, but also please ourselves during sex. But also I, I know that a lot of people listening will find it as as a really hard thing to talk about. And why do you think we're so shit at talking about our own pleasure?
2: I think we're, um, we're lacking in skills talking about our own pleasure. And this is, this is not a gendered statement. Mm. Uh, The the things that I'm saying are not gendered. They could be, we could see it through that lens. Um, because we've been taught that sexuality, sex, it's not to be taken for pleasure. It's to be taken for procreation. And in my very small part of the of the world, you would see exactly the opposite of that. You would see me running into situations where I can um, enjoy myself and I support other people to do the same thing. But out in the broad, broad world, I think that there is so much uh, downwards pressure on On all of us, Mm. from both external and internal um, stressors. So, uh, the external ones are sort of societal, religious, spiritual, and you know, and gendered concerns, uh, things like that. Or particularly, like if you're from a particular ethnicity, and and then that beholds certain uh, sort of moral codes. Uh, Then we also have um, the internal pressures about you know, how you process those things. And they're based on, obviously, um, things like attachment theory, uh, whether you have a background of trauma, anything in particular to do with your character and your disposition. So that's what we're dealing with. External and internal pressures to just keep silent.
0: I was going to say it's a wonder that any of us come at all.
2: I think I just need to come just to basically release some stress there. (laughs) God, where's my doxy? Where's my jewellery? Um... So these are the things that we're dealing with. My gosh, no wonder. It's easier to stay silent. Mm-hmm. It's easier to comply. It's easier to just not give your pleasure validity. But then we're also talking about people who are maintaining the status quo because this, this, is, this is fine. Mm. This is totally okay. That meme of the dog sitting at the table with the uh, the soy flat white, um, with all the flames around them. I mean, this is fine. And again, this is not a gendered statement that I make. I'm not saying that you know, like, why are men hashtag. I'm saying that we are all basically complicit under under basically those pressures. Yeah. I just basically want everyone to step into it with freedom.
0: Well, that is a great segue to my next question. Do you think that people are more concerned about their partner's pleasure or their own pleasure going into sex? And is there a right way to go into sex?
2: I, th- I think that um, that's really a bit of a, a, a question I can't answer about whose pleasure is a priority. I think that society has told us that certain people in certain roles have greater rights to prioritise their pleasure. Mm but I've also met people who get off, and I mean in the literal pejorative biblical sense, when their partner is pleasured Mm. over them. I I think that we have this fabulous society which says that we're all supposed to be having a ton of sex and we're supposed to be having it in this way and we're supposed to look like this. Um, And that sets up a framework where we have so much that we need to plough through emotionally and psychologically just to enjoy something which I firmly believe is our birthright. Mm -hmm. And we are wading through things like performance anxiety, you know, insecurity about being adequate across, you know, your body, you know, all, all of these sorts of things. I think that we need to just acknowledge this this is the nature of uh, the environment in which we find ourselves coming together. We just need to um, acknowledge that it's not fair.
0: Mm. Well, I think it's very common, maybe it's just in my friendship group, that we're all concerned about what the other person is thinking during sex and we're all concerned that they're having a good time and that they're experiencing pleasure. Is that... What's the basis of that? Why are we so concerned about other people and never ourselves? but well, we but we sh- we should be concerned about other people,
2: and we also should be concerned about ourselves, most certainly. But I think that pleasing someone else has become a yardstick of of personal value. Mm. and uh, we've you know been taught to negate our own pleasure. But what happens is that that will only build up a lack of satisfaction. In the person who was prioritising the other, Mm. um, it's something where we have to be willing to be vulnerable in front of another person to ask for what we want, to um, massage how we're receiving that and that know that we're valid, know that we're a valid recipient of pleasure and attention. You know, as I said, regardless of you know our parent culture or our religion or our family situation or our relationship, we we need to basically know that we're valid because I see that basically uh, so much of the sort of the questions that we're asking are based in people's insecurities, their lack of in, lack of security stepping into an intimate environment, and um, you know whether they're able to meet that yardstick, um, and so we just need to stop thinking about it as much even things like just taking a breath, down regulating ourselves like almost like a, sort of a you know a form of mindfulness mm. so you know we need to drop into our body and know that our essence deserves to be nurtured um that we are valid and we have a right to have sexual pleasure and also recognize that in the other person
0: mm. It's quite a big thing to ask like how do you how do you go about it with clients like is there a, a- a cheat sheet.
2: I think that it's a different context with clients because those people are booking me to service their needs, mm. but they are still the initiator. So some people don't even know about BDSM <laughs> in the first instance. So I do a little bit of uh, unpaid labour, you know, for the sake of the cause. Um, to furnish them with realistic ideas about, um, you know, what they can expect and what we can share and what we can do themselves so that they can bring something of themselves to me. Mm -hmm. And that's like even like, well, what have you seen on the internet that really you were like, hey, I want to be her. I want to be them. I actually say stuff like that. I also say stuff like advocate for your own experience. I actually literally say that to clients. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would say that to anyone else who's listening to this podcast as well. Yeah, like just the about stuff to, that just I've been say saying is completely about advocating for your own experience because no one else will in the way that you
0: can. Showing people things that you like or, t- show, you know, telling them things that you've seen that you might like or even, you know, advocating it for a way and saying, hey, tonight's just going to be about me or can can tonight we just do this because I would really want to try this. Yeah. Could be ways that people you know.
2: Mm. I think I think that the point I'd like to also make is that it takes freaking courage. It takes me courage. And I'm sitting here in like, you know, all of this rubber, my spikes, my heels, I have to basically bolster my courage to say to my partner, <laughs> yeah, you know, I really, I'm surprised even by my own bodily reaction, but I actually really don't like that. Or, hey, look, I told you that I, I, I really like this the other day, but I've realised that it's actually now not working, with, working for me with you. Mm. Add that little sprinkle of courage, people, and acknowledge to advocate for your own
0: experience. That's what we're talking about today. And so, like, in a practical sense, should we be doing this before we get to the bedroom with our partner or is it a, like, how do we do this?
2: I personally don't like having conversations around sexual, like, if we need to do relationship chat, I, I don't particularly like doing it in the bed because the bed is um generally for sleeping or um having intimacy cuddles or having sex. Mm. Um, and really, it still feels weird for me to sit in my lounge room and kind of go, Hey, so I've been having this thought about us. <laughs> yeah, but it works for me because it means that the bed is just for those things, and it's not a place where it could intimacy could become. I,
0: it, we we, we could have a fight. Uh, yeah. But I guess it's just all about having those conversations at a time in a place where you feel really comfortable.
2: I do it in the lounge room or wherever feels like we can give it focus yep. and give it space. And what do I feel that I can say with confidence now? So, yeah, look, hey, um, you know, I said that I really like morning sex. And wow, I just, you know how I said that? Yeah. Well, um, that's changed. When I'm saying that, I'm thinking that, hey, I don't, I shouldn't be judged for this. Mm. Um, if I feel that I'm being judged, then that's a red flag for me. Also know that your partner is dealing with their own stuff. Mm.
0: You mentioned something earlier about when, it, you know, with your clients being like, oh, I saw this thing on a video. I really want to try this or I want to be her or mm. that thing. Um, and I think that humanity is going to be debating this topic until aliens finally take over. But do you think that... <laughs> porn is a good guide for sex and pleasure?
2: I think that porn needs to be seen for what it is. It's a fantasy device. Mm. I had a person come in the other day um, in a professional context and he was um, miffed. He was like cheesed off. He was pissed off, if we can say that, Um, that the thing that he'd asked me to do and booked me to do, he wasn't having this really, wow, overarchingly, oh, yeah, reaction to the toy. And he was like, yeah, I've seen this in porn. I've seen, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, okay, well, and I took him through my normal little spiel about, okay, so you've got to have the experience, you've got to receive the sensations into your body, you've got to sort of decode them as being either, you know, positive or negative for yourself. And then you've got to sort of find some sort of erotic pleasure in that. And then, holy crap, and only then does that basically be conducive to you starting to work towards an actual orgasm Mm. of a form. So, you know, I took him through that process and he was still like he almost wanted his money back. And he'd watched porn. He'd watched porn about this particular device. Mm. And I was just – I mentioned this because I was um, surprised by his – Surprise at the discrepancy between
0: the movie version of that device and
2: the thing that was actually happening, happening to
0: his body yeah in that moment which actually could have been more pleasurable but he was just so like blocked to experiencing it
2: yeah i mean porn for me essentially needs to be seen as um, the fantasy device that it is mm-hmm. it needs to be seen as um, a set of metrics that are deliberately trumped up Um, amplified in the notion of everything in greater greater amounts uh, for everything from like, you know, um, the volume of sex, the size of people's bodies, the shape of people's bodies. That's all basically going to be conducive. It's going to be better. So like more is better, more sex is better, Mm -hmm. bigger tits is bigger, blah, blah, blah. And that's just inaccurate modelling. And it basically um, marginalises the most of us to... Being outgrouped to what is conceived as the you know the ultimate model of pleasure, Mm. it's bad modeling. Um, I mean, there is good porn out there. Please go and have a look at it, Um, but it's um, needs to be seen for what it is. But. People don't necessarily have that cognitive process. Mm.
0: I think it's a good like, hey, I saw these people doing this. Do you want to give it a go?
2: Heck yes. Yeah.
0: As opposed to hey, it's us. Yeah. As opposed to let's recreate this.
2: It's impossible to recreate those things. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think that in the in the porn that I've shot, um, I've always shot something which is what I actually do. Mm. So for example, like if if people go. Mistress Tokyo, I saw you in that video that you shot. I wanna, I want that burger and fries, and I'm like, heck yes, coming right up, which is in a safe, hygienic uh, manner. And I also negotiate, even heck in this, negotiate consent during my during my videos. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm unaware of porn producers who talk about consent during a video things are just choreographed and staged. And, of course, that supports the notion that, you know, we were talking about just relying on body language before, yeah. just relying on eye contact. It supports the notion that that's
0: what it's actually supposed to be. As opposed to an active conversation about consent, right? And you've recently launched your own mindfulness consent model. That's
2: correct, yes.
0: Uh, can you tell me about it? What is what is the model?
2: So the model is basically um, conceives that consent has to be balanced across uh, three process dimensions. What is a process dimension? Yeah, you're going to have is, to spell this What the, this heck, is what the heck, this out. heck is that? What the heck and heck is that? So one of them is your thoughts. Mm-hmm. So how you process information as you think about it. Your emotions... That's the way of processing information is feeling it through. And your body, your body is an amazing repository of truth. Some of it is um, accessible consciously. Some of it is inaccessible consciously. It's um, unconscious um, information which is stored from all of the things that you've experienced, including things that have been positive and things that have been traumatic, so, mindful consent basically offers that you can consent, and you are in a state of being fully consensual when those three uh, aspects of your experience—your thoughts, your emotions, and your body—are in um, within your window of tolerance. So, right now, you know, I'm in my window of tolerance. I'm not fighting, flighting, uh, freezing, or fawn, basically like uh, appeasing someone if they're you know aggressing towards me. Mm. So there's also a process attached to the model. um, And that basically takes someone through a decision process that they can use the model and find out, okay, is this a good time for me to make a decision about whether I'm going to have sex with this person? Or do I actually need to just take time out, downregulate myself using mindfulness, and then come back to that decision later? So the model is the three components of experience, and then a way to navigate through a consent decision using that model.
0: I want to talk briefly about safe sex. Mm. Do you have any advice for bringing up the use of condoms or other safe sex methods with your partner in terms of like pleasure? Where, you know, people might say that, oh, I, I don't want to wear condoms because my pleasure's reduced or whatever. It, it feels like safe sex is a bit unsexy. Mm.
2: I don't tend to have sex with people who won't respect uh, my requirements. Um, You know, I've had really, like, disappointing experiences on dating apps Mm. um, where people will stipulate that they will only uh, have sex with me if it's unprotected. Why would I have to deal with your lack of care about my body and your lack of respect for my boundaries.
0: Also, I feel like safe sex takes uh, takes away a lot of, well, it will helps alleviate a lot of concerns around sex because yes. you're protected Hello. against Hello. pregnancy, but Say also what you're saying. STIs. Yes. Hello. You, you can go into Hello. these encounters feeling a lot more connected to your pleasure when you're less worried about what might happen?
2: Gonorrhea is not a safe word.
0: It's not a joke. No. <laughs>
2: and, you know, and I was just about to rejoin with the STI tip. I mean, not just because I'm a sex worker, but I'm a person who um, loves having sex and wants to continue to do so, please. Um, so I, I don't want to expose my potentially expose myself to STIs. Um, absolutely not.
0: Um, before I let you go, you are a mistress. I am. Do you have any advice for people who maybe want to explore BD- BDSM or kinks or just anything out of their comfort zone? Oh, any? heck yes. Yeah. How do we how do we explore it? How do we get into it?
2: So um, you can see a professional. Uh, you can throw yourself out there into the virtues of the social network.
0: And if you, beyond going and seeing a professional, is it something that you can dabble in? casually?
2: Yeah, sure. I I basically say to people that, um, if they were looking to, um, to get into kink is that they can see a professional, even if the professional is actually going to
0: just show them the ropes. Yeah. Yeah. Quote, quote unquote, (laughs)
2: um, to actually um, educate them on, you know, how to use the tools and equipment and also do it safely and teach them about consent and that sort of stuff. There are places, um, where you can, you know, really step into uh, into your freedom in in public at an event, meet like minded people, and um, you know, get more information, see demonstrations, and also go to workshops. So there is stuff happening, and also there's nothing to stop you um, starting at home, getting some books, either about uh, you know general sort of BDSM play, or you know shibari, like you know Japanese rope bondage, um, any any sort of any sort of play that you might like to do. But it's always I think best to uh, support your book learning uh, with um, uh, someone or somewhere that can provide you with you know in real life skills.
0: and uh, probably a bit more safety as well in the hands of some capable professionals.
2: Safety is, is, is absolutely mandatory, and safety and consent are the things that basically delineate BDSM from assault mm. BDSM can be quite powerful I mean it's heck and why I get up in the morning every day and pick up my phone so that I can possibly um, step into that space where I can enjoy the virtues of kink but you absolutely have to uh, know how to navigate consent when you play BDSM so just basically if you do step into into um, BDSM don't ignore the fact that you'll need a safety net particularly when you're starting out
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the pod.
2: It's my pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Thank you for having me on and and letting me um, basically, you know, talk about mindful consent model and um, talk about kink um, and talk about anything that I can basically contribute to people's experience of themselves and sexuality. So thanks for having me on to chat about that. Thank you. My pleasure.
0: thanks for listening to another episode of Talking Frank. Thank you to that young woman who DM'd us for sharing your story. And of course, to Mistress Tokyo for sharing your wisdom on expectations during sex and consent. If you want more information, you can go to frank.org.au or you can give the Family Planning Australia talk line a buzz, or there's even some extra information in the show notes below. To be frank though, I think it's about time we all went and explored our
1: own pleasure.